Welcome to the Holy Bible Study for Genesis chapter 25. Now this is a very important chapter, one of the most important chapters in the whole Holy Bible because we cover all three patriarchs of Israel in one chapter. I'm going to start with an event in Abraham's life, and then I'm going to talk about an event in Isaac's life, and then I'm going to talk about an event in Jacob's life. So, again, in one chapter, we cover Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's the only chapter we're going to do all three men in, three different events of their lives. So, don't want to miss a minute of it. Share it with your friends, and let's just jump right in. God bless y'all. Godspeed. Verse 1. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, the reason Abraham took another wife was obviously to continue to fulfill God's will for mankind to be fruitful and multiply and to, um, you know, bear more children. As God promised him, not only would he be the father of many nations, but his descendants would be as the sand of the seashore, of the stars of heaven. So he, here before he passes on from this life, as he knows he's getting towards the end, he wants to continue to have more descendants, and he's going to make them through Keturah. And the reason why it says she was another wife is because, if you remember, his wife Sarah recently passed away. And we're going to find here that Abraham is going to be buried in the same tomb at Machpelah as his wife Sarah or Sarai was. Alright, so Keturah is the new wife, and she bare Abraham Zimron, and Jokshan, and Midan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua, and Jokshan begat Sheba, and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, and Letushim, and Leomim, and the sons of Midian, Ephah, and Epher, and Hanak, and Abida, and Eldah. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. That is a very, very powerful verse that every Bible believer needs to know. If you remember anything in this chapter, remember that verse, verse 5. Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. So, while he was the father of many nations, and we're going to find he's not only the father of uh, the Jewish nation Israel, but he was also the father of some Arab nations, because he fathered Ishmael, who became the father of some Arab nations, which we now know today as Islamic Muslim nations. But obviously, Abraham, in his days, there was no Islam, there was no Muhammad, there was no Allah, there was only Yahweh. So Islam didn't come around until about, I'd say, maybe 1,500 years after Christ uh, was buried and rose from the dead. So Islam isn't that old like most people think. Um, our book far outdates it by thousands upon thousands of years. So back then they were just Arabs. And then we find that through Keturah he gave birth to some more Arabs. So that's why Abraham is called the father of many nations. But 
God wants us to focus on the fact that he is specifically the father of the Jewish state, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, whom he said would be his people. And that's why he said, from Isaac shall your seed be called, Abraham. So Isaac, we found in previous chapters, God refers to as the seed, the seed of Abraham, through whom uh, his descendants would be called and the children who would inherit the land of Canaan, which would later become the land of Israel. So Isaac is the inheritor of that promise, Abraham's promise from God that we read in Genesis uh, chapter 12. Um, Ishmael, we find, was not the promised seed. He has no claim to any part of the land of Israel, nor do his descendants, because it says that God sent Ishmael away with gifts, but that Isaac was the inheritor of Abraham's promise. He was the seed. We're going to find here in this chapter that God's going to say, all of the sons of Abraham, besides Isaac, were sent away with gifts. Because Isaac was the sole inheritor of the promise of Abraham because he came through the womb of Sarah, Sarai, Abraham's wife. And the other children came through whom we would refer to today as concubines. So even though Keturah here is referred to as a wife, she wasn't his original wife, so she would also, I guess, be considered a concubine. And again, they were both uh, Arabs and not of the Hebrew Jewish descent as Abraham and Sarah were, Sarai. And so that's Isaac's um, descent, would be Hebrew Jewish. And so will Jacob, Israel, and his descendants. So just remember, verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. He sent all these other sons we're reading about in here, along with Ishmael, away with some gifts. But the promise of the land of Canaan, Israel, that God made to Abraham, he gave all that, all that, all the spiritual promises of God, he gave to his son Isaac. The rest got worldly gifts, and they got sent away. Always remember that verse, because you're going to get a lot of Muslims today that will say, Oh, Ishmael is the true seed of Abraham, and uh, the land really belongs to the Muslims because, you know, Ishmael's our forefather, but Ishmael wasn't promised the land. Not once in the Holy Bible can you find that Ishmael was promised any parcel of the land. He wasn't. As I just said, he was sent away with gifts, and that was it. All right, verse 6. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. So there's, you see how Isaac is distinct from the other sons? So too is Sarah, his wife, distinct from the other women. Even though Keturah is called a wife, here God refers to her as a concubine because she wasn't the wife that God had chosen. So it says, but under the sons of the concubines, meaning Hagar and Keturah, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived, eastward under the east country, so you got to get that. God is clear, both when he talks about Ishmael and about these other sons of the concubines. Both times, it says that he sent them away. Away. Got to get that. So that's why 
today, you know, we have the Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and Saudi Arabia, etc., etc., uh, because those nations stem forth from Ishmael and these sons of Keturah, whereas the land of Canaan, the land of Israel today, was always meant to be the inheritance of the Jewish people. So that's why I'm so strong about Israel not making any peace treaties with Palestine, because Palestine can say all they want, that they're refugees and that they have a right to return because they were kicked out of the land of Israel, supposedly, in 1948, 1967. That's not true. It's always been Israel's land, all the way back to the days of Abraham. Every Muslim, every Christian, every Turk, every whoever, throughout history, Brit, whoever uh, was occupying the land of Israel were doing just that. They were occupying it. It was not their land. So Palestinians that lived there in the past, or their descendants, it was not their land. They were just occupying it. So when they flip the script and try and tell you today that Israel is occupying the land, it's such a lie. They're trying to take the attention off the fact that they occupy the land. And on top of that, as I point out in my book, The Signs of Our Time, so if you want a full, concise history of the land of Israel and why it belongs to the Jews and not the Palestinians or the Muslims, uh, you have to read my first book, The Signs of Our Times. Because I explain that when all of the nations surrounding the Jews in Israel, Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, when they all came against Israel in 1948 to destroy them and wipe out that small army of Jews, obviously God gave them miraculous victory. Thanks be to God. That's how we know God was with them because they were outnumbered by hundreds of thousands of troops. Um, what happened was, was the Palestinians who left Israel before the war, being warned by their fellow Arabs and Muslims, saying, look, we're going to attack Israel, all Muslims need to get out. So they chose to leave their homes in the land of Israel, and dwell in the surrounding Muslim nations until the war was over, until they expected Israel to be wiped out. When that didn't happen, the Jews in Israel did say to them, you can return to your homes, but as long as you're not hostile, and as long as you don't you know, make war on us, we'll live amongst you, and you can live amongst us, and you can return. Those Muslims, those Palestinians, chose not to return because they did not want to live side by side with the Jews. And they were so upset that the Jews were not wiped out. And they expected that in the future, there would be another attack on Israel. And eventually the Jews would be wiped out and pushed into the Mediterranean Sea. Which is what Hamas, the terror group of Palestine, calls for today in Gaza. They call for Israel to be pushed into the Mediterranean Sea. Meaning wiped off the map, just like Iran wants them to be wiped out. Obviously, God says that will never happen. God has given Israel an everlasting name, he tells us in Isaiah. So, the Palestinians chose not to return because they wanted to wait till the Jews in Israel were wiped out, and then they would go back to their homes. That never happened. So now the Palestinians of today are saying, we have a right to return because it was originally our ancestors' homes. But the Palestinians of today 
are saying the same thing that their ancestors said. They're saying, it's our land. We don't want to live amongst the Jews. So that's why you haven't seen any peace plans work between Israel and Palestine for the last five, six decades, however long it's been. Because as long as the Jews are living there, they don't want to come back. They want Judea all for themselves. They want Samaria all for themselves. They want Jerusalem all for themselves. They don't want the Jews to have any part of that land. Because of the lies they've been taught growing up, they believe that land is theirs, where you and I who read the Holy Bible know that's not true. That's why the Jews are there today, because God promised in the Holy Bible, in the book of Ezekiel and elsewhere, after I have punished the children of Israel for their many sins against me, I will return them to their own land, to their promised land. And he did that in 1948. And then in 1967, they retook Jerusalem. So, you really got to get it that the land today in which Israelis are called occupiers is their land. They're not occupying anything. They're exactly where God has always wanted them to be. The Palestinians that are dwelling in any part of the land of Israel are occupying the land of Israel. They were occupying the land of Israel before the Jews were brought back to the land by God. And everyone who ever dwelled in the land of Israel before that, from the times of Abraham, were occupying Abraham's land, Isaac's land, Jacob's land, and we all know Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So those fathers of the Hebrews were promised that land in which the Hebrew Jews live in today. End of story. Period. So please, I ask you, go out. Get the first book, if for no other reason, but just to have a clear, concise, perfect history of the land of Israel and of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It will give you a lot of ammo to defend all the lies against, to defend against all the lies that are being propagated and promoted on social media by the BDS movement, by the Palestinians, by the Muslims. They're all lies. And in that book, I give you the truth, Bible-based, Bible verses, back it up, so no one can question. Because you could say, oh, well, Michael Saudi said, so big deal. But when you say God said, it will silence every argument. And that's why I give you the Bible verses in the book, and I give them to you in these Bible studies, so you will know, and you could tell people, it's not my opinion that the Jews belong there. It's not my opinion that this is their land. It's God's opinion. It's God's word that says it. And God's word is truth. Anything man says contrary is a lie. So there you go. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. The other kids of the concubines he sent away. Verse 7, And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. An hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. Now, for those of you who don't know what the three score means in the King James Bible, it basically means uh, a score is 20, so three score would be 60. You take 60 plus 15, that gives you 75. So, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost. 
and died in a good old age, an old man, full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre, the field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth. There was Abraham buried, and Sarah his wife. So again, Abraham was buried in that tomb he purchased from the Hittites with Sarah's wife. And also we're going to find that Isaac is going to be buried there. Rebekah, his wife, is going to be buried there. Jacob's going to be buried there with one of his wives, Leah. Unfortunately, Rachel, his beloved wife, is not going to be buried there. But that's because there's a prophecy um, that's going to be fulfilled later in the Bible that has to do with Rachel and her burial place. So she had to be buried somewhere separate in order to fulfill a prophecy of God in the future. Um, but again, she was Jacob's beloved wife, but since she was chosen by God to fulfill a prophecy, Leah was the wife to be buried with Jacob. So therefore, all three of the patriarchs are buried with their wives in that tomb of Machpelah, today, still in the land of Hebron, in Israel, you can go to that tomb. It's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs, Cave of the Patriarchs. You can still visit it to this day. That's why I tell people all the time, the Bible is not a bunch of fairy tales. It's not a bunch of feel-good inspirational stories. It is history. Archaeology backs it up. And like I said, you can still walk on these places today. You can go to all these places listed in the Bible today, including the burial place of the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is so awesome. Praise God for that. We have living proof of the Word of God. Okay, so he was buried there with Sarah, his wife. And... Let's see here. I think we're getting into Isaac now. Verse 11. It came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. You notice that? After the death of Abraham, Abraham had a lot of sons. But guess what? God blessed Isaac. doesn't say he blessed Ishmael. It doesn't say he blessed all these other sons of Keturah. God blessed Isaac. That's where God's focus is. And Isaac dwelt by the well Laharoi. Now that well is going to be a very prominent well throughout the Old Testament. Um, to this day, I believe you can still go visit it. It's also said that it may possibly be a well that Jesus spoke to the woman at, the Samaritan woman. I'm not too for certain about that. I'd have to do some greater study on it, but it would just be interesting if it was, as we know that Jesus was crucified quite possibly on the same mount that Isaac uh, was going to be sacrificed and God told Abraham not to because he said, I will provide the lamb. And obviously later on, thousands of years later, the Lamb of God came, Jesus Christ, and died on that same mount. So it all uh, comes full circle. A lot of the stuff we're reading about here in Genesis is prophetical. It's pointing to what's going to happen in the future. That's why it says that Jesus not only fulfilled all the Old Testament feasts and their meanings, but he fulfilled 
the whole law. He fulfilled every prophecy of the Old Testament. And there are far more. I mean, they say there's so many Messiah prophecies, but I believe, as I've said through previous studies, there's so many more prophecies that point to Jesus Christ that aren't officially listed as Messianic prophecies. And we only know today that they are now because of things Jesus did. So we can look at things he did and then go back and read Genesis and say, whoa, that looks like that's pointing to Jesus in the future. Whereas back then, the Jews, you know, since it wasn't a specific Messiah prophecy, they didn't consider it as such. But that just goes to prove even more so why Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah. Because he fulfilled so many messianic prophecies that even the rabbis weren't aware of. He makes more prophecies clear to us through fulfilling things that were done in the Old Testament or that were foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And that is just so great. Um, it just gives us even more of a surety that we do serve the true Messiah, the true Christ, Jesus. Okay, so where was I at here? Laharoi also means, I believe, the living well or the well of the living God. So that's important. Um, verse 12, now these are the generations of Ishmael. So now we're just going to get uh, a list of Ishmael's sons here. And remember, he was going to be the father of uh, 12 tribes or 12 nations, similar to how Jacob was the father of the 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. Um, Ishmael has kind of like his 12 Arab tribes here. Uh, so what verse are we in here? Verse 13, according to their generations, the firstborn of Ishmael was Nabajoth, and Kidar, and Abdil, or Adbil, and Mipsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Masa, Hadar, and Tima, Jatur, Nafish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns and by their castles. Twelve princes according to their nations. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael. An hundred and thirty and seven years. So, 137. And he gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. So that's another thing why you can tell which people in the Holy Bible were important to God and had a future with God, like for their names to be remembered is he would always give the intimate details of their life, whereas other characters, like Ishmael, you know, you'll be told when he's born and when he dies, but in between that, you're not really told a whole lot more about him. Like, it's not real significant. Whereas Isaac, we're told the exact age he was when he had his wife. All we knew is, is when Ishmael was born and at what age he died. But really, in the middle, since him and Hagar were sent away when he was a teenager, up until the point he comes back to bury his father, we don't really learn much about Ishmael. And again, he died at 137, so for 137 years, you'd think he'd have a lot of stories to tell. 
But since he was a teenager, we don't hear much. Thus, it's saying that to God, you know, he wasn't an important, integral part of the story of God, which was going to be written primarily through the line of Israel, who again would come through the line of Shem, and then who would come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel, David, etc., all the way up to our Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua. So Isaac was 40 when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanoram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Entreated here means prayed. So that's another thing you want to notice that Ishmael didn't pray to God. Esau doesn't pray to God. But the ones whom God favors, it's like he knew ahead of time, these would be mine. These will obey me. These will pray to me. These will fear me. These will love me. You know, that's why I believe to this day God works the same way. Because I'll tell you, you know, I was raised a Catholic and in Catholic school and all this stuff. And I was always, you know, jerking around and, and being the little class clown and, um, just, you know, get, ticking the nuns off and getting hit with rulers and uh, getting sent to the principal's office, the dean's office, whoever. I was always just a little hellion. Um, even though I always believed in God, I was just, you know, I lived like a hellion. And then, of course, in my teenage years, I fell in with the wrong crowd. Long story short, uh, you know, dropped out of school and, and was just doing the drugs and the alcohol and all the bad stuff. And uh, one night uh, in my 20s, when I was real messed up on between drugs and alcohol, and obviously now I would never do it. I don't condone anyone who drives drunk, but I was driving out drunk from a bar one night. Uh, luckily, it was real late in the morning, real late in the night, but early in the morning, so there was no one on the road. But, uh, you know, I basically was just going to pass out because I was so drunk, and all I remember is my eyes were closing was I was going towards a curb on the side of the road, then obviously, before I did pass out, I remember going over the curb, and the curb led down to a ravine with a bunch of trees and everything in it. So basically, when I went over that curb and down to the ravine, there was nowhere else to go. I was going to hit a tree. I'd probably be dead. So I basically passed out, either from drunk or fear or what, but when I hit that curb is when I passed out. And then when I woke up, Instead of my car being rolled over, it was a SUV, you know, those ones that are easy to flip. And instead of being crashed into a tree, I was laying out on the grass. And my car was parked on all fours, standing up on the, uh, basically halfway over the curb and halfway onto the road. So it didn't go down in the ravine somehow. I mean, it would have to do a complete 180. It just makes no sense, especially when I couldn't control the wheel because I was basically passed out. The car was placed upright, half over the curb and half in the road, avoiding going down to the ravine. I was unscathed, laying down on the ground when I got up on the grass. Someone had woke me up, a passerby driver had woke me up and said, hey, man, are you all right? You know, and I was like, well, yeah, I think so you know, a little hungover, but, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Um, luckily, you know, he didn't, luckily he found me before the cops did. 
Um, so long story short, all four of my tires were blown out. So something happened when I was passed out. Four tires just don't blow out unless you have a pretty bad, you know, a pretty bad crash or something. And the whole back end of the car was off. Yet somehow, again, I was parked upright. And I was unscathed. And I look back now as a man of God to that time and say, you know what? It's true what God told Jeremiah. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I called you. I knew what you would be. I knew you would be a prophet to me. Now, I'm not saying I'm a prophet, but I'm saying I am a man of God. And I wasn't always. Like I said, I, through my idiot actions, I should have been dead that night from being a drunk druggie driving drunk. Because of all the sinful things I was doing in life, I was a bad dude. I was on a highway to hell. And yet and still, God preserved my life. Why? Because a few years later, I was going to have an experience through repentance with Jesus Christ. who was going to appear to me. It was going to call me. And ever since, for the past 15 years, I have been walking with him. Like Enoch, like Noah, like David. I have been walking with God. And my life has been amazing. Sure, there's been ups and downs, but for the most part, all the curses I endured in my sinful life are gone. Now it is blessings after blessing. After blessing. So, friends, if you think you're too far off from the Lord when you're listening to this, you don't think there's ever any hope for you, He's talking to you now through my testimony. He preserved me, poor sinner that I was, because He knew in the future I would walk with Him. I would be His child. So, if you're still breathing today, there's a reason you're still here. He can use you. You can be a man of God or a woman of God like me. All you have to do is repent. And say, Father, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the sinful life I've lived. I've been so decrepit and depraved and perverted and drunk or laced with drugs. Forgive me. Help me to flee from these sins. Help me to start fresh and to be the man or the woman of God you've called me to be. And you watch. It may not happen overnight, but little by little, you will loathe the things you used to do. You will hate the person you used to be. And that means the Holy Spirit's coming in. And He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into a walk with God. And He will guide you into taking the right path, into staying on that path, until you get to that life of abundant blessings that I am now in, and you can be free from the life of curses you currently endure or have been enduring. I'm living proof, friends. God can save me. He can save anyone. So, God knew Isaac was the one he would favor. And he knew that out of Isaac's two sons, Jacob would be the one he would favor. And that's not saying God doesn't care about all human beings. He cares about all his children. The difference is which of his children care about him in return. Those that don't, pretty much they're like bastards to him. You ever heard of redheaded stepchildren? That's what they are. 
They're insignificant in the end because they didn't follow his laws. They didn't live by his ways. They didn't live righteously. They lived wickedly. They lived sinful lives without repentance. So you choose that life. You choose no repentance. You choose hell over heaven. That's what you're going to get. God doesn't send anyone to hell is what I tell people. You send yourselves there. I would have sent myself there had he not mercifully had a better future planned out for me and mapped out for me. And he has a better future mapped out for all of you. It's just a matter of do you choose his ways, his heaven in the end, or do you choose your ways, your lusts, and hell in the end? It's totally up to you. Okay, so Isaac, again, pray to the Lord. Like Jacob will pray to the Lord. Like Abraham, pray to the Lord. Like David will pray to the Lord. Like Noah, pray to the Lord. Like Enoch, pray to the Lord. Like Adam, pray to the Lord. Like Jesus, our Lord, will pray to his Father in heaven. They all prayed to the Lord. So he entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, meaning she couldn't have children. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children, get it, so she was barren, and now she's having twins, basically. She's having two kids. They struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in your womb, two manner of people shall be separated from your bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And the elder shall serve the younger. Now this was odd. Back in those days, in the Hebrew Jewish world, even in the surrounding Arab world, the older always ruled over the younger. The older always had the birthright. The firstborn was very important. We're even going to read about the firstborn a lot in Exodus and in Leviticus. God's big on the firstborn. But just to go to show that it was God's hand at work in these men's lives, he's going to orchestrate everything in their lives so that somehow, some way, the younger overtake the older. The younger become the inheritors of the promises. Even though in that culture they weren't supposed to be, in order to show that it was God who was orchestrating it, they were going to become the inheritors of the promises. We're going to see that uh, many times throughout the Holy Bible, where God you know, does the unnatural, does what is not supposed to be done, in order to show that it is His hand that is working. So, Esau is going to serve Jacob. And it's the same thing with Ishmael. I mean, even though they weren't born of the same uh, mother, obviously Ishmael was born of uh, Sarah's servant, whereas Isaac was born of Sarah. Either way, Ishmael was born first. So since he was um, of Abraham's quote-unquote seed, per se, of his body, then Ishmael would be essentially the firstborn. And he, he even actually said that to God. He said, God, you know, I'm almost 100 years old. Can't Ishmael just be the promised seed? You know, he's already here. He's, he's a young man. Can he just be the promised seed? Why do I have to wait for this other promised seed to come? 
you know, I'm almost 100 years old, and God said, no, in Isaac your seed shall be called, not Ishmael. God had other plans. We see that repeated here in uh, the life of Isaac. His sons are going to be flipped. The younger is going to be the inheritor of the promises and not the older. And we're going to find the reason for that is because the nature of both men. Jacob, we're going to find, is a man of God, a man after God's own heart, whereas Esau was a man of the world, lusting after the things of the world and not the things of God. God knew that beforehand, just like he knew for my life, what I would be someday. He knew beforehand what I'd be. He knew beforehand what Jacob and Esau would be. So he said, it's going to be different. The elder will serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over, like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So this is 20 years after he took Rebekah as a wife, because now he's 60 years old. If you remember, score means 20. So threescore, he'd be 60 years old. All right, so he had his first children at 60, so men, don't give up if you don't have a wife yet, if you're a Christian man. Um, Isaac didn't marry his wife, Rebecca, until he was 40, and she was obviously younger, so, uh, you know, we still have hope um, in that, that aspect. And uh, he was 60 when he gave birth to his first kids. Abraham, heck, when he had Isaac, he was over 100 years old. So, again, man, don't give up hope if you're getting, you know, over the hill, per se. You know, God may still have plans for your life. Don't rush it. Or don't rush into anything that's not of him. Now, a couple of things here. Uh, play on the names. Um, it says that Esau came out red. We're going to find later on in this chapter that he's also given another name that means red. And we're going to find it all is pretty much associated with um, this issue he's going to have uh, with being famished and he's going to be really hungry and Jacob's going to have food. And uh, the food, the pottage, is going to be red. And Esau is going to lust after that. So that's why he's really associated with the name red a lot. Whereas uh, Jacob... Uh, his name can mean, as you'll find in a lot of Bible commentaries, uh, he who grabs the heel or he who snatches at the heel. Um, and that's because when he came out of his mother's womb, uh, it says he took hold of Esau's heel. So he was a, he was a character from the start, Mr. Jacob was. And uh, Jacob also means, may God protect him. And again, Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. So if this man was named this so that God would protect him, how much more do you think God protects Israel, the nation of Israel today? You find his promises all throughout the word, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. 
of God's love for Israel. No matter how much they turned their backs on him, no matter how much they backslid, they were his people. He's a faithful God. He has said, even if you are unfaithful, I will be faithful. He's a perfect example for all of us, especially men with wives. Um, you know, if your wife, you know, isn't perfect, you know, forgive her and set her on the right path and be faithful, even if she's not faithful, because the Lord will be faithful to you. If he wants to take her out of your life, he will. But we, no man, I mean, I dated a bunch of girls in this life, especially when I was younger, and, and I played around, and then I got played around on because of it. Um, you know, what most young people do. Um, but what I'm getting into is that I wasn't faithful, and thus God allowed girls to be unfaithful to me. Uh, whether or not, you know, he, I'm sure he didn't orchestrate that, but that's just the way it worked out. As you do unto others, it'll be done unto you. Um, you know, whatever you sow, you'll reap. But today, as men of God, once we know better, I don't care that if your wife or your girlfriend cheats on you. That's not an excuse to do the same. We are to be faithful in all things, but especially in relationships, and especially to God. We need to always be faithful to God, first and foremost, because even when we're not faithful, He's faithful to us. So, Jacob's name means, may God protect him. May God protect him. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah bare him these children. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. Uh, it's also said that Jacob may have been a shepherd. And while Esau was the hunter out killing everything. Um, one thing you want to notice is that a lot throughout the Holy Bible, uh, the powerful men, the mighty men, the, the, the ones you think that, that God would favor and choose, um, they're looked over. And it's always the simple men, the quiet men, the, the reserved men, the homebodies, you know, that, that pretty much keep to themselves, that God searches out and favors. And I think the reason for that is because the mighty men, the strong men, are the ones who were out and more captivated by the world and things of the world. And they're, um, you know, they get puffed up in their own pride and their own power. Whereas the, the homebody guys, the, the keep to themselves guys, they have a lot more time on their hands. They have a lot more time to meditate. They have a lot more time to pray and to get in a relationship with God. Because again, God is spirit. And Jesus said, those who will worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. If you don't have a lot of time on your hands, if you're out running around 24-7, uh, uh, can't sit down, or if you're out there, you know, lording your might and your power over everybody else, you know, you're going to get puffed up in your pride. You're going to make yourself a god. How are you ever going to be so humbled uh, to call out to the god of the universe? Whereas these these men of God, uh, they they had more than enough time. And you'll find Jesus a lot of times, even though he was popular with many of the Jews in the land of Israel, thousands upon thousands were following him. But you'll find that he would always go and retreat uh, to be uh, by himself, whether on a mountain or uh, out by the sea um, or out in a boat. I would say Jesus would retreat off by himself. 
to go pray or to go, you know, talk with the Father, whatever it is. Um, so even he had to remove himself, even though he's perfect at all times, he still had to remove himself from the crowd, from the world, to be alone with his Father. Even though the Father was always with him, he still made it a point to go off to be alone with him. So that's why, even though Jacob was just a plain man, just a shepherd like David, um, God called him. And that's why God called David, man after God's own heart. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Isaac, unfortunately, even though he was a man of God, he was seen through worldly eyes. Um, you know, he enjoyed the meat that his son Esau would bring him. So much so that he began to favor Esau over his son Jacob, who, you know, didn't do very much for him, apparently, because, uh, again, he favored Esau, so Jacob was more of a mama's boy. And that's what we find in verse 28, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Herein lies the problem. I'm sure there were some issues that aren't recorded here, um, because the parents each favored a different child when they should love both of the children equally um, in every situation. I don't care if one of your children is a baseball star and the other one just sits around and plays video games all day and you don't think it's good for anything. You have to love them both equally. They both have a future in God's sight. God has plans for both of them. And a lot of times... The one who you favor and the one whom you think is best and is going to just have some great, you know, wonderful future for the name of your family, it's going to be the one you least expect. It's going to be the one, the homebody, the one not doing anything, the one who you're telling to get a job and he won't. Somehow God will turn that child into the one who will make your name great for, you know, hundreds of years rather than the one who you thought was the star. So we have to be careful, again, in favoring one child over the other, as we're going to find that that's what happened here. Isaac favored Esau, but God flipped the script and said, no, I've already told you when they were born, the elder's going to serve the younger. You know, you've known me all these years, Isaac, so why would you doubt me now? Uh, but Isaac's going to find out... Um, the hard way that he was wrong. He should not have favored this child because when he's going to try and actually override God, Isaac is wrongly and bless his son Esau because he favors him and says, oh, well, God must have uh, misspoke when he said the elder would serve the younger. Or, um, you know, my wife Rebecca must have misheard God because there's no way that this Jacob kid is going to um, be any better than my precious Esau is. No, there's just no possible way. So God must have misspoken. So Isaac, we're going to find in the coming chapter, is going to try to bless Esau instead of um, Jacob, which God wanted. But again, God's not going to allow it. So friends, don't ever think that you know better than God. Don't ever think that you can override God's will because either way, God's going to make it come to pass how he wants it to. The thing is, we need to get in tune with his will so our lives are blessed throughout it and not cursed in any way by trying to override or change God's will. All right. Isaac loved Esau. Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, verse 29. And Jacob sod pottage. It's kind of like a stew would be a modern word for it. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. 
So he was tired from being out hunting all day. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray you, with that same red pottage. So see, the red stew. For I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. The name Edom means red. Associated with the red pottage, red stew. And Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. Now here's one thing before I go further, what you want to get. The birthright spiritually, especially being a child of Isaac, who was the child of Abraham, knowing that promise in your family that you were going to be the inheritor of the promises of Almighty God, the Lord of heaven and earth. You were going to be promised this land, you and your descendants, the land of Canaan, Israel, the land flowing with milk and honey. It was going to be yours. And all those who bless you were going to be blessed. And all those who curse you were going to be cursed. You, through the birthright, would inherit these blessings. Isaac cherished this in his heart. He wanted those blessings. Again, he was a man after God's own heart. He desperately wanted those blessings that he would do anything for them. Now, obviously, the way he went about it is questionable. But still, you can't question the fact that he appreciated, he respected, and he desired those blessings of God. Whereas we're going to find Esau, the man of the world, despised the promises, despised the blessings, could care less about them. Esau was not spiritual in the least bit. He was worldly. He was physical. He was too busy in the world to be worried about some spiritual promise of God. Again, he was too busy to pray like Isaac did, like Jacob will. Too busy for all that God stuff. How many people do you know out there like that today? Ah, oh, someday I'll get right with God, but right now I just I got too much going on. Too busy. Too busy for God. You're going to find, just like Esau did, that's a bad way to run your life. You better make time for God, or else you're going to regret it someday. So Jacob said, sell me this day your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? So Esau obviously is just uh, being dramatic here. He's not going to die. He's just, he's famished. He's hungry. And uh, he sees food. He's like, Oh, please, 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 come on. I'm going to die if I don't have some of that stew. It looks so good. I can smell it. You know, what a birthright? What's a birthright to me? You know, I don't care about that spiritual stuff. You can have it. So he despised it. Mistake number one. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. See, Jacob wanted the birthright so bad, he's like, look, you're going to say you're going to give it to me, but no, 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 no. You're going to swear to me you're going to give it to me. Oaths back then were a very powerful thing. He's like, swear to me that this birthright will be mine. You're giving it to me. And Esau swore to him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob for a pot of stew. Again, how many men of the world and women of the world do you know like that today? That will sell their soul an eternity in heaven for a moment of pleasure. Worldly pleasure. That's a lot. Unfortunately, there are a lot. Verse 34, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus 
Esau despised his birthright. So many lessons, friends, we can derive from this chapter today. But the biggest one, which I keep hitting on so much, is that are you going to be a spiritual man or woman that seeks after God, that has a relationship with God, that wants to be blessed by God, and who is a sojourner in this world, like Abraham was a sojourner in this world, a stranger in this world, meaning that he was a stranger in the land of Canaan, even though his descendants were going to inhabit it someday, they were going to inherit it, it was going to be their land, but at this time he's just a stranger, he's passing through. That's how we're to live in this life as Christians, as believers. Don't get too comfortable in this world. Don't get too comfortable with sin and sinful things. We are temporary residents of this earth. We are sojourners. We are occupying this earth. As I said earlier about occupation. We do not live here forever. We're not going to live here forever. Our home is in heaven. We're just passing through, doing the Lord's work till he takes us. And then eventually when we do return to the earth, our new home will be in the land of Israel, that land we're talking about today, in the new Jerusalem when it comes down from heaven. We are all going to live there with Lord Jesus and serve him there. So until that time comes, just like Abraham was sojourning on the earth, until his descendants would inherit that land of Israel, we too are strangers in this earth, passing through, sojourning, until that day when we get to inherit and live in that eternal New Jerusalem in that land of Israel. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God as best you can. Talk to God as much as you can. Day, afternoon, night, doesn't matter. Lunch break at work. Uh, you know, when you're out in nature... Uh, when you're in your car, talk to him. He wants to know you. He wants to be close to you. If you want to be blessed like Abraham, if you want to be blessed like Isaac and Jacob, then you have to get close to God. If you're too consumed with the world, if you're too focused on the lusts of the world, and on a pot, a red stew, whether that be um, you know, a new car, or a new motorcycle, or... Um, you know, supermodel women or, you know, pornography or, you know, a, a six-figure job or, you know, mansions and boats and the whole Joel Osteen, um, you know, prosperity blessings of God. If you're focused on all that, the lusts of the world, more than you're focused on the Holy Bible, on God's Word, you're not going to be blessed. There's no way to get around it. You're not going to enjoy the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're not going to enjoy the blessings of David. You're not going to enjoy all the blessings that God and our Lord Jesus have promised you in this word because you're comfortable with whatever the devil can offer in the world. And we are not of this world, but Jesus said we were called out of this world by him because we are not of this world. We're strangers, sojourners. Act that way. Live for God. Do what His Word says, even though the world does the complete opposite. Because the world can't bless you. Only God can bless you. The world can curse you if you get too close to it. That's for darn sure, like I did. But luckily, 
God knew from the womb what he wanted me to be. No matter how far off you are, friends, he knows what he wants you to be. Get in accord with his will and be blessed. Stay out of his will and be cursed. Choice is yours. I hope you make the right choice. I hope you call on him tonight. You repent of your sins. You get right with him. And friends, I'm telling you, from this day forth, your life will be more blessed than you could have ever imagined. That'll do it. Next time, Genesis chapter 26, we're going to talk some more about Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac. And unfortunately, we're going to see the apple doesn't far fall from the tree as far as mistakes Abraham had made because Isaac is going to repeat one of the same exact mistakes that Abraham did. But we're also going to see the promises that God made unto Abraham repeated by the Lord unto Isaac. He's going to renew the covenant of Abraham with Isaac. So, some good and some bad in Isaac's life in the next chapter. So, tune in next time. And until then, my friends, God bless y'all.